So he said he saw this at one. What CN is confirming after one of its coal trains derailed near already burned out Lytton. Plus. It was really scary to think that maybe this person had passed or drowned. How hearing screams for help had vacationers from Vancouver rushing to the rescue of a young man in Skahal Lake. And... It's amazing conclusion to the story. A homemade sailboat stolen from a Vancouver residence is recovered just in time for Father's Day. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Nearly a year to the day after a devastating fire leveled the village of Lytton, a freight train derailed east of the ruined community on Saturday, sparking a fire in the area for a time. A spokesperson for CN Rail says early information suggests about 15 rail cars containing coal derailed, spilling some of its contents. It's said to have caused a minor fire, which the rail spokesperson says was put out and did not present a danger to public safety. No injuries have been reported. The cause of the incident is under investigation. On June 30th, a wildfire engulfed the village of Lytton and two lives were lost. The Transportation Safety Board later said it could not find a link to the deadly fire and a freight train that passed through the area during a record heat wave. A getaway in Penticton suddenly turned into a rescue mission for a group from Vancouver. As Global's TFS reports, they are being called heroes for putting their lives at risk to help rescue a drowning man. A Father's Day vacation quickly turned into a life-saving mission for family visiting Penticton. On Friday, while the group was relaxing at their campsite, they heard cries for help coming from Skahal Lake. And then more people and more people started screaming, yelling. And then we noticed that someone was, something was wrong, like something was, was going on. The three men, which included a doctor and certified lifeguard, quickly jumped into action. So he was setting up one part of the boat and I did another in, in less than 10 minutes. We had a boat up and running and went into the water. While the trio set out on the lake, Marina Costa called 911 from shore. It was really scary to think that maybe this person had passed or drowned or something like that. So. I'm really glad we called 911 when we did, and I'm really glad they made the decision to jump in the water. According to the rescuers, a group of young people may have tried to swim in the Penticton Channel, but the fast-moving water quickly pushed them out into the lake. I assume one of his buddies started yelling, you guys have to go southwest, have to go southwest. But we kept going, kept going, and we went like super deep into the lake. Then, out of the blue, we saw like some movement in the water in front of our boat. As they approached the victim, Dr. Reese says he was hoping for the best, but preparing for the worst. I told my friends, I said, you know, as a doctor, have you ever seen uh, any, any deceased person in front of you? Have you ever seen any CPR? You might, might see that today, so stay calm. I'll bring the person to the boat and perform some CPR, so whatever happens, please stay calm. The victim was found with his head barely above water. Our friend Bruno jumped in the water, dragged him onto the boat, and he didn't need any CPR. He was breathing barely and very cold. The group says they didn't even think twice before jumping into action. As parents and as doctors, like the first thing we said is like, we have to jump in the water. We have to rescue this kid. The family now has a message for the community. I would say we all have the responsibility to look out for our peers, for our community. So if you have uh, any situation like this where you can, you believe you can help, even if you're not 100% sure you can, 
just make uh, make an effort and do what's best for the community. And we're, we hope that if this uh, gentleman that got rescued uh, sees this, that he pays it forward in some uh, opportunity down the road. Rescue teams arrived shortly after the group pulled the man out of the lake. The victim was transported to hospital by awaiting paramedics. TFS Global News, Penticton. The search for a missing Kelowna woman and her dog feared washed away by floodwaters have been put on a pause once again. 31-year-old Chelsea Cardno and her German Shepherd were last seen on Tuesday when she took her dog JJ out for a walk along the Mission Greenway. The search was suspended on Thursday due to high water and weather conditions, but resumed yesterday with more than 100 volunteers turning out. But the search has been suspended temporarily once again due to weather conditions and exhaustion. Lower mainland residents are still bracing for the worst of the delayed spring freshet to arrive on the lower Fraser River, which we may see happen as early as the end of the week. But a Maple Ridge homelessness advocacy group says some of the most vulnerable in their community are already being flooded out by the rising water levels. Paul Johnson reports. Did you go very far in? A few minutes walk by the tracks. Then along a muddy path down to near the river's edge. Whatever you think of AJ's improvised shelter in the Cottonwoods, it's thoughtful and inventive. Uh, I got my door in the far corner there, and in the other corner I got my emergency exit, and the other corner here I got my fire barrel. Uh, the water comes up to pretty much um, coming over my bed. So AJ spent Saturday night under a tarp on higher ground. While he acknowledges he's been warned about the seasonal river flood, and the possibility it could go higher yet as the lingering snowpack melts. He's got his reasons for coming down here. Maple Ridge, he says, has been an unwelcome place for the homeless. They always run us away from places and where I feel like I'm at home. Like, just try to keep to myself. Um, it's safer. Tracy Scott is with the Maple Ridge Street Outreach Society. Having been homeless here herself, she shares AJ's observations that the area doesn't have adequate resources for the homeless. And local vigilantes in the past, she says, have abused them and tried to run them off. However precarious the riverbank is, there's a sense of refuge here. There's usually around 50 of them. Um, they hide right into the riverbank, right into the bushes because it's safer. As for AJ, he told us he may have an opportunity to move to a trailer park soon. In the last few years, he's been unlucky with housing for one reason or another. While the riverbank isn't most people's choice for living, it's the one that's been available to him. I got nowhere to go, and it's quite, quite rough out there. In Maple Ridge, Paul Johnson, Global News. In the Shuswap, residents and officials are still closely monitoring the rising water levels of Shuswap Lake. The local emergency operations center is helping with flood preparations, including sandbagging. As of this morning, the lake had risen 2.3 centimeters to 348.523 meters. The record is 349.660 meters, set back in 1972. The flood watch is being maintained for the Shuswap, the North Thompson River and Caribou Mountains, with the South Thompson River joining them today to an upgraded flood watch as well. 
Another reminder for homeowners to secure their garbage, compost and other animal attractants after a sad ending for a bear in Burnaby this morning. Around 11 a.m., this large black bear ventured into a busy residential neighborhood near the Vancouver-Burnaby border. Vancouver police began monitoring the animal, hoping it would find its way back to a safer place. The bear crossed into North Burnaby, where the VPD says it started going in and out of yards and getting dangerously close to people and pets and also walking in traffic. Tragically, police say they were forced to shoot the animal. Officers notified conservation and animal control when the bear was first spotted. Animal control dispatched staff, but they have not arrived by the time police made the difficult decision to put the bear down. Coquitlam RCMP are trying to determine what led to a double shooting last night. Officers and paramedics were called to the pizza factory on Clark Road and Hobbes Way just after 7.30 last night. Police say a man and a woman were found with gunshot wounds. Viewer video shows the man being taken to hospital by paramedics. Their injuries were said to be non-life-threatening. And I heard gunshots and I thought right away I knew, okay, that's, that's gunshots. And I came here. And I saw actually people running away, so I knew something was happening. I've been living here for a while, so this is such a family-oriented place, and it's quite scary. I heard, I, I want to say six gunshots just right, right after now, pop, 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 pop. And then I looked out my window, and I saw a guy dressed in all black, and then he, was, he ran down Clarendon Street, and he was just by himself. Um, I was looking to see if he'd gone to a car or not, but he didn't. He just kept running until he was eventually at my site. If you have any information or footage of the incident, you're asked to call Coquitlam RCMP. Last week, we saw Ottawa suspend randomized COVID-19 testing, and the Canadian Airports Council says wait times and tarmac delays for arriving flights at large airports improved immediately after that move. Tomorrow, another change with vaccine requirements no longer in place for people traveling domestically by plane or train. The mandate had been in place since October 30th for anyone over the age of 12. The federal government says the decision to suspend the vaccine mandate was made because of the improvement of key indicators, including modeling and high levels of vaccination against COVID-19 in Canada. Officials say we could also see this reversed if cases start to climb once again. One piece of policy that will stay in place is the Arrive Can app, which is still mandatory for all travelers coming into Canada. On this week's West Block, the federal transport minister said despite calls from border guard unions to scrap the program because of the time it takes during crossings, use of the app will still be required. Today we have over 90 percent compliance rate, but I know that there's more that can be done and we're working on ensuring that we can improve uh, the experience of ArriveCan. But it continues to be a critical tool to protect the health and safety of Canadians. The vaccine mandate is also being lifted for federally regulated transportation sector workers and federal government employees. Persistent staffing shortages at BC Ferries have led to more major sailings being cancelled this weekend. BC Ferries says today's 4 p.m. and 8 p.m. ferries from Sawasan to Swartz Bay and the 6 p.m. and 10 p.m. ferries Swartz Bay to Sawasan have all been cancelled due to staffing shortages. It's just the latest set of cancelled sailings from BC Ferries, which has struggled with a staffing crunch in recent months. New Westminster police are asking for your help to locate a missing 40-year-old man. Daryl Patterson was last seen Saturday around 12.30 in the afternoon in the uptown area of New Westminster. 
The 40-year-old is described as being 5 foot 10 inches tall with a slim build and short dark hair. Police believe he may be associated with a red van. There are growing concerns for his safety and well-being. Anyone with information on his whereabouts is asked to call police. And Surrey RCMP putting out this plea to help locate 58-year-old Kenneth Weatherold. He was last seen around 8 a.m. yesterday near 132nd Street and 96th Avenue. Weatherald is 6 foot 1, 160 pounds with gray hair. He communicates through sign language and may be wearing an identification bracelet. Police are concerned for his well-being and believe he may have taken the Sky Train to Vancouver or YVR. Anyone with information on his whereabouts is asked to contact police. A sad update to the search for another missing man. Whistler Search and Rescue volunteer Toby Salen has been found dead. Salen was reported missing on Thursday. His truck was later recovered off of West Lillooet Lake Road, southeast of Pemberton. He was found deceased yesterday. In a statement, Whistler Search and Rescue says, Toby was a deeply loved member of the Whistler Saar family and to the broader community that he volunteered his time to do so diligently for over eight years. Foul play is not suspected in what's believed to be an accidental death. A pilot program is in the works to help Indigenous people who've been disconnected from their communities return home. This gift was my calling from my ancestors. After being gifted a paddle six years ago, Charlene Sanjenko started looking into her past. She was put into foster care in the late 1960s from birth to age four. She had no idea until recently she's First Nations from Splatseen near Enderby. She says after three years of research and paperwork, she received her status card in 2018. With some provincial seed funding, Sanjenko is now co-creating a project called Our Nation Heals, set to launch this fall. She and former Splatzine Cook P, also known as Chief Wayne Christian, plan to combine the power of Indigenous storytelling, digital media arts and small group listening circles to inspire hope and healing, especially for those like Sanjenko wanting to reconnect with their biological families, home communities and build trust. I'm also putting a pretty big call out to others who I know are out there and are also really curious about how they might reconnect with their communities in a meaningful way and contribute back to them. The pilot program will launch in Splatseen with hopes to expand across the province. Sinjenko is calling on community and individual partners who want to collaborate or take part in the pilot program to get in touch through her website. Black Culture Celebration holding its first ever Juneteenth festival in Vancouver. Live music happening all day until 8 this evening at Sunset Beach Park. It's all about celebrating black Canadians past, present and future. Organizers welcoming families to relax on the grass, grab a bite and catch a show. Vancouver celebration coincides with a Juneteenth long weekend south of the border commemorating the end of slavery in the United States. It's about celebration. You can fight for, you know, what is right for you, but also you can be joyous. So we want to get back to the tradition of Juneteenth, which is supposed to be a celebration of unity, community, and freedom. Juneteenth isn't just an American celebration. It's an everybody celebration. Black people, everybody. Um, just celebrating a day of freedom. It's a celebration. We're done protesting. The war is over. Um, as a black person, you fight your whole life to do everything. 
to get simple things done. And we want to celebrate culture because black culture permeates through all culture, musically, culturally, in fashion. Coming up, a happy ending after a sailboat made from scratch was stolen. This is amazing, though. This is amazing. Just in time for Father's Day, how the handcrafted vessel was recovered with the help of global viewers. And later. I looked at my floor and all the water was everywhere. In the U.S., tallying the damage after historic floods in Yellowstone National Park. Taking a look here at the Lionsgate Bridge, you are in great shape for your Father's Day evening commute, whether you're heading up Taylor Way or Capilano Road into North Vancouver or coming down through the Stanley Park Causeway into downtown, you're going to find yourself problem-free this evening. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at BCAA.com. In Global One, I'm Jeremy Tubbs. Well, at first there was disappointment over ruined Father's Day plans after a Vancouver family sailboat that they had built from scratch was stolen just days before they were set to launch the vessel this weekend. But then eagle-eyed global viewers stepped in. Grace Key has this new news hour follow-up. Hello. Hi. Sweet. All right, then. This boat... It's not the Father's Day the McDonald's planned, but they're ecstatic to be reunited with their sailboat after it was stolen from their East Vancouver home. Yeah, I just can't believe the, the, whole, the whole thing. I can't believe that, one, it got stolen. Ridiculous. So then we go to Facebook, as, we, as you should, and say, hey, have you seen this thing? And then all of a sudden, like, you know, global, thank you very much. You know, for like making it a story and then people seeing the story and like seeing the boat. It's been a labor of love for the last year. The family built the boat from scratch, finished it on Thursday, and the next day it was stolen along with a trailer that was chained to a telephone pole. And then I had this chain wrapped around the, the trailer. Several people spotted the boat under the Canby Street Bridge after watching the family story on the news. Police say it appears some people tried to salvage it after finding it abandoned along the shoreline. The theft is still under investigation. Devin and crew cleaned this up for you because <laughs> it looked even rougher yesterday, pretty gross, and this looks scuffed but clean. Scuff but so, clean. Um, awesome. Members of the Canadian Coast Guard cleaned up the boat after VPD's Marine Unit helped recover it. The two young daughters dubbed the 14-foot skiff Sailor Do That. The plan was to take it out for its maiden voyage on Father's Day. Now they're thinking it'll be on their wedding anniversary. I think so. I think, I think it's a good, it's like 15 real hours. That probably works out to like a month of like child care. and my picnic table? Yeah, I know there's a big... Okay, so there's like 15 real hours somewhere in there, but it'll work out. The sail, rudder, and trailer are gone. They have some work ahead, but it's still a happy Father's Day that they'll never forget. Grace Key, Global News. A heads up to transit commuters in Burnaby. Starting tomorrow, a local SkyTrain station will start undergoing major construction work. The upgrades to the Brentwood Town Centre station set to begin Monday. More than $32 million in improvements will be carried out, including a new elevator, two new escalators and more fare gates. The work means the south entrance will be closed for about a year, with the overall completion date set for 2024. 
Brentwood is the first Millennium Line station to receive upgrades since the line opened back in 2002. About 4,500 people boarded SkyTrain at that station every weekday in the fall of 2021. Still ahead, fears over floods hampering food supply. It's happening, it's a movement that is coming and people are concerned about where their food comes from. BC farmers eye opportunities to diversify the province's food supply after last fall's severe weather devastated the Fraser Valley. Plus, the canoe way of life is very important to our people. Canoes are in the water again for Sasquatch days. How the treasure tradition is back in Harrison after COVID cancellations. Taking a look here at the Iron Workers Bridge for your Father's Day evening commute. Absolutely stellar driving conditions. You are problem free in all directions, whether you're heading up the cut into North Vancouver or coming down towards the Cassiar Tunnel into Burnaby. You aren't going to find yourself with any delays this evening. Get best in class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at BCAA.com. In Global One, I'm Jeremy Tubbs. There is an unexpected movement afoot growing out of last fall's devastating floods in the Fraser Valley. People in other parts of the province are seeing the need to diversify their food supply. As a result, farmers in the Bulkley Valley are seeing opportunity. We get this story from CKPG News. Dykeman Cattle out of Abbotsford is the newest operation on the block in Vanderhoof, something the district of Vanderhoof would like to see a lot more of in the future. There is a move afoot to make the Nachaco Valley the new Fraser Valley. The affordability of the land that we have here is, is still, you know, it's going up, but in comparison to what it is in the lower mainland, it's very attractive still at this point. And the ability to grow forage up here, we can do that now where, you know, we have a little longer seasons, it seems, at, you know, than we did maybe 20, 30, 40 years ago. So it's giving us a little more option to grow a lot of forage, which obviously can attract dairies or that type of, you know, operation. The latest example of a natural disaster that affected food supply were the floods in the lower mainland last fall. They came on the heels of highway closures in 2017 and 2018 due to forest fires. They all drive home the notion of diversifying food supply. You need to have a certain amount of production in an area to actually supply the processor as well. So it's bringing all these things together and then creating the foundational regulatory system that allows that processor to function in that area. There has been a trend in food consumption in recent years that lends itself naturally to what folks in Vanderhoof and the Nechaco Valley have in mind. Consumers are much more interested in knowing where their food comes from and buying local. You go to look around now and every other backyard has chickens in it almost up here now. So people are, you know, doing their own thing with their eggs. And so, yeah, it's happening. It's a movement that is coming and people are concerned about where their food comes from. The regional district of Bulkley Nechaco will be meeting with the agriculture minister, Lana Popham, later this summer. And this notion is sure to be one of the main discussions. Cheryl Jan, CKPG News. An Oliver farm is trying a new approach to distributing its fruits and vegetables. Steve and Dan's fresh BC fruit has been a staple at farmers markets in the Edmonton area. They bring in the fruit and vegetables from their family farm in Oliver. This year, they're offering a weekly subscription service. Subscribers will pick up their orders from a number of pickup points. The idea was built from what they learned worked and didn't work during the pandemic. We did our first year with online delivering to people's homes and that the logistics was just getting extremely hard and, and with price of everything going up. And that's where we started partnering up with some of these businesses and uh, worked out with uh, doing the, the CSA. And it just made it a lot easier on us and easier for the uh, 
for the customers to just pick up at, at the location and also support those certain locations they were, would be picking up products there too. Delivery season starts next week. A beloved event is back on in Harrison Hot Springs after two years of COVID cancellations. Sasquatch Days returned this weekend. We got to have my nephews, they're you know, as young as seven years old. My mom is 63. She still paddles with us. Hundreds of people from several First Nation communities came out. The celebration continued today after kicking off on day with canoe races, medicine walks, and a salmon barbecue on the shores of Harrison Lake. Stailis Nation has been hosting the annual canoe races since 1938. Community members say more than 2,000 people gathered from Canada and the U.S. in that first year. Participants of all ages train for several months for the event, which welcomes paddlers of all ski levels, lining Harrison Lake with hundreds of handcrafted traditional canoes. It affects us all in a, in a beautiful way culturally, you know, to, to see, see family once again. You know, there's that, that emptiness that we all had for, for a couple of years. Now we get to see them all. And, you know, it, it, it grounds us. Surveying the damage for a recovery that could take years in Yellowstone National Park. Coming up, we have the latest. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. The cleanup continues after massive floods hit Yellowstone National Park earlier this week, much like the November storm that devastated parts of B.C., particularly hard-hit northern areas of the park where access won't be restored before the fall. And communities on the park's boundaries are still tallying the damage. Residents are still drying out. Cell phone video shows two kids using a raft to gather belongings in their basement, filled with several feet of water. Down the street, volunteers are helping clean up Bree Beekman's washed-out bedroom, where she was when the water rushed in. I heard a noise, and I heard my cat, like, meowing. I looked at my floor, and all the water was everywhere. This week's catastrophic flooding in Yellowstone shut down the national park and damaged or destroyed hundreds of homes and businesses in nearby towns like Red Lodge, where recovery will take months, if not longer. How do you recover from this as your insurance cover floods? Most people don't have flood insurance, and for good reason. We don't have floods. We don't flood. That's, that's not, this is not the kind of disaster that we have here. Fire Chief uh, Tom Kuntz has been on the job for 27 years. A year ago, we were on fire. We had, you could have walked across this creek and not gotten your feet wet. Scientists say climate change is fueling disasters like this one and raising the risk and cost of living in places once considered out of harm's way. FEMA, which is on the ground to assist, says a single inch of flood water can cause up to $25,000 in damage. Without insurance, homeowners will have to pay out of pocket or apply for hard-to-get loans, also hampering recovery of flood of cancellations. You're needing to cancel. Larry Young's Inn was fully booked this summer by people hoping to visit Yellowstone's Northern Loop, which is now closed through October. When did the cancellations start coming in for you and your business? Immediately, we've had over 150 cancellations. And that number has only grown, leaving this tourist town on the line. Just help our town out by uh, uh, supporting us by coming to see us again, all right? 
I'm Jonathan Vigliotti. CBS News. In Red Lodge, Montana. Wow, of course, our thoughts go out to everybody who's affected by that as we focus in on our regional forecast, bringing in Kasha Badurka now for a look Hi. at that and what's ahead for the work week, Kasha. Yeah, well, I've got some good news if you want a taste of summer. So uh, there you go. We will have some sun and, and climbing temperatures, but you will also get a taste of some national weather as well because there were tornado watches and warnings in place today in parts of Saskatchewan, Manitoba. 17 degrees at this point, mostly cloudy skies. And 17 was our daytime high, and the warmest spot in the province today was at Fort Nelson at 25 degrees. The warmest spot in the country was Emerson, Manitoba at 37.8 degrees. On top of that, Humidex, about, it felt like 42. But that's not the big weather story. It was the tornado watches and warnings. This is just a funnel cloud. It didn't make landfall, uh, but this was sp spotted in La Porte, Saskatchewan at 125. Look at this golf ball size or even larger hail also in Saskatchewan. Uh, at this point, the tornado watches and warnings, they have been lifted and I don't think there were any reports of anything touching down. We'll hear about that tomorrow from Environment Canada if something did, but there continues to be heat alert in place and still some pretty nasty storms going on. All right, back here at home. Temperatures tomorrow going to a daytime high of 20, kicking off the day under mostly cloudy skies, then clearing for tomorrow. Radar returns here at home. We've got a fair amount of activity in the central interior as well as the north, northeast of the province and some thunderstorms also in the Okanagan. But still, these lines of thunderstorms throughout Manitoba, they continue to march on northwestern Ontario as well, seeing some pretty nasty weather. Now, for tomorrow across the province, a high pressure ridge is building. It's a weak one, albeit, but a lot of us will be seeing a partly cloudy sky. It's going to be a nice one, though we could get some pop-up thunderstorms yet again. So these are the places. It's in the northeast of the province yet again that we could get some thunderstorms, but otherwise, not a bad day, really. Smithers, 20 degrees. Over coastal sections, we'll see a few showers, especially through the morning. Prince George will see mostly cloudy skies. Across the southern flank of the province, also a nice day until daytime heating and we could see the pop-up thunderstorms uh, emerge throughout the Okanagan and the southeast of the province. Here, looking good as well. Here's hoping we do see that sunshine moving forward. There's your first day of summer. We'll see a little bit more cloud cover Tuesday, but then we get warm late week and sunshine. There you go. All right. New season is almost upon us. Thanks very much, Kasha. Well, an international superstar performer hits the stage at Rogers Arena tonight before a sold-out audience. Diljeet Dosanjh is one of the most popular Punjabi singers in the world, as well as a major movie star and film producer. He's the lead actor in the highest-grossing Punjabi film ever, Hans Ladak, which was also filmed and set in the Lower Mainland. His rabid BC fans will be happy for a chance to hear and see him in person. I'm really excited to watch the show today. You know, I've been a Dojit fan for a long time since I was a little kid. You know, I've been looking forward to the show for many months now. I'm, I'm just happy to be here today. Dojit is one of my favorite artists. He's someone who's always stayed true to his roots. He's never forgotten his cultural background either. He's, he's kept his turban, his beard, and which is a really proud thing for our community. So really happy to be here tonight. I would say that his music is very diverse. Um, hip hop, um, he's got a lot of romantic songs. Um, I, he, uh, mainstream, I guess, in the Punjabi culture. No, we are. Big it's fans, our first time. Very much excited about him.
So much excitement yeah. tonight as we bring in Barry DeLay for a preview of mm -hmm. what's exciting in the sports world tonight, Barry. Well, on Father's Day, either you golf or you watch golf. <laughs> yeah. Since I'm working, I'm watching golf. U.S. Open, always a traditional Father's Day finish. And, uh, you know, this major always seems to have the suspense. You never know how it's going to end. And it went right down to the wire. So we'll have a lot of highlights uh, from the uh, U.S. Open at uh, the uh, course in uh, Boston, which was, uh, was just magnificent. So that's all coming up. No shortage indeed. All right. Thanks for being here on Father's Day as well, Barry. We're glad to have you. Thanks. Also ahead, Forging Friendships. So I got to hold the host and put my gear on and make sure everything's ready to go when they need me. The dream come true for an honorary member of Delta's fire department. The pandemic upended everyone's lives in so many unforeseen ways. So naturally, there is gratitude we can start to safely gather again, including allowing a fixture with the Delta Fire Department to finally return to his post this weekend. Here's Jay Durant with This Is BC. Okay, you know that one, right? Yeah. So we're going to go up to the window and you're going to push it in and it's going to snap. Visor down when you do it. For the first time in two years, Richard McNaughton is back with his buddies at Delta Fire Hall number three. Given the honor to be with the fire department behind me and help them out. COVID canceled the annual open house, but the doors are finally open again to the public. For the past 20 years, he has served as an honorary member of the crew. And I can't remember a time when Richard hasn't been part of our department. Just after birth, Richard was diagnosed with Williams syndrome, which affects his growth and other abilities. But that didn't stop him from dreaming big as a kid, hoping to one day become a firefighter. Oh, it, it's, it's really his, his everything. When I became chief, uh, some of the guys came and said, hey, what, what else can we do and help Winston? And we, uh, we were able to uh, outfit him with some gear. Complete with a jacket that has his nickname Winston on it, named after one of the Ghostbuster characters. I don't think even anybody knows his first name. They just call him Winston. I only was the guy that got corrected when I called him Richard. <laughs> it was no Winston. Winston. I'm Winston. There you go. See? This is his time to show the crowd what life is like on the front lines. So I got to hold the hose and put my gear on and make sure everything's ready to go when they need me. How are you? Long time. How are you? He's just a real special, special person in our in our world. And he's loved by everybody here. He's been treated him like a, a real firefighter. You know, they treasure him. This is all he's ever wanted to do. Halt! Thank you. And the fact that he's, you know, managed to fight through all this, all of his life. I'm so proud to see him here doing this. It's been a long wait to return to duty, but Winston's finally back with his friends. I've been with the company for 20 years, and it's been really good uh, sitting out of the guys and... Good to know them a lot better. Doing the job he always dreamed of, if only for a couple of days every year. Can you stand back 10 feet, you guys? Jay Durant, Global News. And if you have a tip about a great BC story to tell, you can email your ideas to jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. And Barry's back with the full sports cast after this break. Also ahead, how the rattlesnake that hitched a ride to the lower mainland in a Ferrari has been returned home. to Canada Place on July 1st for Canada Together. Be there for a reimagined celebration in the spirit of reconciliation with the theme Weaving Together the Fabric of a Nation. Enjoy a day full of live performances, exhibits, food trucks, and more as a way to gather, celebrate, learn, and share. 
Head to the Royal BC Museum for two new exhibits. Visit Broken Promises exploring the history of Japanese-Canadian dispossession and Between Us, a series of portraits chronicling the beginning of the pandemic. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. Celebrating Pride Month with Inside Pride, a global news special series. Go to globalnews.ca and click on the Inside Pride tab. All right, Barry's here for your Father's Day Sunday sports cast. A lot of eyeballs, I'm sure, still on their TVs watching the latest, Barry. <laughs> well, they've probably all fallen asleep. <laughs> yeah. Please, wake Likely. up. I got yeah. something to show you. All right. <laughs> Thanks so much, uh, so much Neithu. Uh, well, there's nothing quite like the drama of a golf major, and it seems the U.S. Open has more momentum swings than any of them. A double bogey is just a swing away, and no lead is safe. It was like that and more today in Boston as a mix of the world's top players and some up-and-comers fought it out at the 122nd U.S. Open at the Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts, just outside Boston. You want to make birdies, you do not want to play like a turkey on a Sunday at a major. Adam Hadwin had an early bogey, but this shot got his round back on track. 25-footer for par on the third, and Hadwin knocks it down. That had to give him some confidence. We know it did because on the next hole, from 28 feet, big left-to-right breaker, and this will go down for birdie. Hadwin stayed around even par most of the day, did not contend, but stayed in the top eight all day. His playing partner, world number one, Scotty Scheffler, on fire, birdied four of his first six, got to six under. He had dropped a couple shots on the back, but he did stay in contention. Most of the fireworks came from the final pairing. Englishman Matt Fitzpatrick on the short par four fifth. Hits it pure, and he drives the green. The only player of 64 on Sunday to drive the green made a two-putt birdie. He got to six under, tied Scheffler for the lead. His playing partner, Will Zalatoris, at the seventh. And check out this approach. Almost holds it for an eagle, too. Fitzpatrick and Zalatoris went back and forth all day, trading great shots, taking turns at the top. At the 11th, Zalatoris with a chance to take the solo lead. And he does. Now one up on Fitzpatrick, two up on Scotty Scheffler. But Fitzpatrick always had an answer. At the 13th from just inside 50 feet. I mean, with these greens, just getting that within three feet would be a great putt. But this is a bonus birdie for the Englishman. Ty Zalatoris at minus five. Zalatoris looked like he was going to lose a shot, but he responds on the same hole with a clutch 12-footer for par. So they remain tied for the lead. But don't count out Scotty Scheffler, his approach at the 17th. That is nice and close. That would lead to a birdie. And Scheffler posts five under par. A good score to be sure. But Fitzpatrick always seemed to, to have an answer. At the 15th, he will roll in another birdie. This gets him to six under par. Don't forget Fitzpatrick won the U.S. Amateur on this very course in 2013. His brother caddied for him and his brother on hand to cheer him on today with his mom and dad. Back to Adam Hadwin at the 17th. Makes his third birdie of the day. Adam finished tied seventh at minus one. Best major finish ever. And he wins 515000 U.S. dollars. Pretty good week for the pride of Abbotsford. But the battle not done yet. Zalatoris at the 16th. This is a fantastic tee shot on the par three. Best of the day, and he would make birdie there. So he's back within one. And it would stay that way as they played the 18th hole. And on 18, Fitzpatrick, with one of his few mistakes, as he found the fairway bunker off the tee, but he will promptly hit what he later called 
one of the best shots of his life. A 160-yard 9-iron out of the bunker. And look at that. Under pressure. And he would make his par to put the pressure back on Zalatoris. So that sets up this dramatic finish. Zalatoris for the birdie to force a playoff. Oh, it looks so good, but it slides by. And Matthew Fitzpatrick win his, uh, wins his first PGA Tour event in America. It just happens to be the U.S. Open, his first ever major at age 27. Um, I've got to give myself credit. I had so much patience today. Um, I, I felt like if I could just stick in, and I said to Billy, funnily enough, I said, if I can hit 18 greens today, I'd, I'd like to think I've got a good chance, and uh, near as damn it did it. But um, I just played so solid all day and, and um, you know, got a couple of nice breaks there on 15 and, and took advantage of it, and, uh, and that's, that's what it took in the end. All right, women's golf, the minor LPGA Classic from Michigan. Canada's Brooke Henderson started the day just three off the lead. A nice shot out of the bunker at nine led to a birdie, but it was not Brooke's day. Even par 72, she finished tied for ninth. American Jennifer Cupcho won it in a playoff. Beautiful day in Toronto as the Blue Jays look to avoid a series sweep from the first place Yankees. Got off to a good start. Bottom of the first, Vladdy Guerrero Jr. drives one to deep left, it's a two-run homer. That was a shot. His team leading 17th. Jays have an early lead, but the Yankees also dig the long ball. It's the former Blue Jay, the former AL MVP, Josh Donaldson. That's a two-run homer to left center off Yusei Kikuchi. 3-2 New York. The Yankees hit four home runs on the day. New York led 6-2, but George Springer cuts into the lead. Solo shot to left, number 13 on the year for Springer, so it's 6-3. Yankees won up 8-3, but the Jays keep answering. Bases loaded for Lourdes Gurriel Jr., and he blasts one to left center. That's his fifth career grand slam. It's a one-run ball game, and Rogers center is lit up in the seventh. Two on for Teoscar Hernandez, and he knows it when he hit it. Belts it to right center. It's a three-run shot, and the Jays, with their fourth homer of the game, take the lead on the Yankees 10-8. Go to the eighth now. Jordan Romano, the Canadian, facing the most dangerous hitter in baseball. Aaron Judge with the tying run at second, but Romano blows him away with the 98-mile-per-hour fastball. And the Jays show some guts today. Knock off the Yankees 10-9, just New York's second loss in their last 18 games. The Canadian Grand Prix from Montreal. First race there in three years after COVID canceled the 2020 and 2021 races. Red Bull's Max Verstappen starting on the pole. Good start. Never was really challenged in this race. Not so good for his teammate Sergio Perez, who had to bow out on lap eight when his engine conked out. So he's done for the day. Verstappen and Carlos Sainz took turns at the front depending on pit stops, but it was Verstappen who takes the checkered flag, his first ever win in Montreal, sixth victory of the season. Carlos Sainz second, one second behind. Lewis Hamilton third. Charles Leclerc fifth. Canadian Lance Stroll picked up a point with a tenth place finish. And if you missed it last night, Whitecaps got a huge win in Dallas. Already up 1-0 late first half. And it's Deber Caicedo with a fantastic strike on the free kick. That's his first of the year. And it gave the Whitecaps a 2-0 lead at the half. And they've been not so good on the road this year. Just one win in seven coming in. But they hold on for the 2-0 win. Now up to 20 points. Eighth in the West. A great bounce back from that 4-0 loss earlier this week in Seattle. I think that the guys really 
stepped up in terms of uh, concentration, in terms of approach. We concentrated the entire game. We played much better than them in the first half. In the second half, they pushed us a little. We defended very well, so it's a clear victory. It's against a very good team, so yeah, top. That is it for sports. Neethu, back to you. All right. Thanks very much, Barry. We'll be right back with how a rattlesnake returned home to the Okanagan after hitching a long ride in a Ferrari. Stay with us. I think there are still questions that need to be answered here. This was a high-risk, high-reward strategy. So we wanted to set the record straight. But at the end of the day, we talk. And where we talk is right here at CKNW. A Maple Ridge veterinarian spent Father's Day on a 10-hour road trip with his kids to the Okanagan and back to take a lost reptile home. As Kristen Robinson reports, the rattlesnake, who arrived in Vancouver in a Ferrari earlier this month, settled for a more fuel-efficient ride for its journey back to the desert. Ready, Enzo? Ready to go home? After a more than week-long stay at Dudney Animal Hospital... Enzo, the aptly named rattlesnake, is going back to the desert. He's got an amazing taste in vehicles, but unfortunately he came in a Ferrari, but he's going to be going home in a Tacoma. Well, this is uh, a once-in-a-lifetime experience for us. The Wildlife Rescue Association of BC delivered the race car reptile to Dr. Adrian Walton after its helpline received a call from Vancouver's Ferrari dealership, which had spotted the snake slithering under supercars in its garage. Thanks to a microchip, he's actually a species at risk as well. The patient was traced to the Incameep Snake Research Project in Asuyas. And the poor snake was probably just looking for a nice corner to hide in and then ended up going on the ride of his life. The Ferrari dealership was in the area recently on a road trip for a track event in Oliver. The Northern Pacific rattlesnake, considered a species at risk, somehow slid into one of the luxury rides and never looked back. I think it's absolutely incredible that he was able to survive the drive because Ferraris do get really hot, and it makes me really wonder what part of the car he was in. In snake style, it was an apparently stealth passenger until it surfaced in Vancouver. Being able to take it back to the exact spot it came from means that his chance of survival is so much higher. Bagged and secured in a bucket, the snake is locked and loaded in the truck box on Walton's Toyota, for a much slower ride home. I've got Enzo here, finally at his home. Since a population survey is studying the impact of the Incomeek Creek wildfire on local snakes, researchers know which rock Enzo lived under. And there we go, Enzo in the wild. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Enzo entertaining all of us all weekend. Exactly. Love Glad it. to see Enzo back under the rock safe and sound. You guys have never handled snakes? I have, but not voluntarily. I it shook a lawyer's hand once. That's as close as I <laughs> Apologies to all the lawyers out there. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> all right. On this Father's Day, we'll leave it at Barry's dad joke. Thank you all for joining us. Krista Dow will be here at 11. Have a great night. <laughs> Bye.